Hello, you're watching Global Investor on Business Day TV. I'm Stephen Gunyan. Caroline Kremen from AdviceWorks in studio to guide us through all that's happening on global markets. Later in the show, we'll also be joined by Coronation's Louis Stassen to discuss their global managed fund. All that coming your way shortly. First, though, a quick look at what's been making the headlines. Well, Twitter's delivered its first ever quarterly profits off the back of better than expected revenue. The social media giant now has 330 million monthly active users and attributes the growth to better ad targeting and higher video sales as stock surged 25% on the news of its profit turnaround. Staying with earnings news, electric automotive car maker Tesla has posted its worst ever quarterly loss of $675 million. It says that it's sticking to revised production targets for its new cheaper Model 3 electric car, but has warned that spending will increase slightly this year. Meanwhile, founder Elon Musk will get no salary or bonuses from Tesla until the company hits some milestones. And the Bank of England says interest rates probably need to rise sooner and by a bit more than thought only three months ago. That's because Britain's slow-moving economy is getting a boost from the global recovery. Here's more. Mark Carney and his policymakers on the charge against a still potent threat. Inflation. It's possible, they say, it could rise above its current 3% in the short term. The bank now keen to bring it back to a target 2% rate over two years, not three as previously expected. It will be necessary, likely to be necessary, to raise interest rates to a limited degree in a, gra to, uh, in a gradual process, but somewhat earlier and to a somewhat greater extent than we had thought in November. Sterling jumped a cent against the dollar on his comments, and interest rate futures now fully price in a hike by August, with a 60% chance of one by June. Earlier is also seen as possible. Perhaps the most favoured dates, uh, assuming that the bank uh, prefers to hike an in inflation uh, report months, uh, would be November this year and then maybe in May. As global growth improves, the bank nudged up its own UK projections to show an average of 1.75% over the next three years. But Brexit said Carney very likely to have consequences for the outlook. Amid rifts among her own cabinet, Prime Minister Theresa May wants to clinch a transition deal next month. Unfortunately, the government seems to be at war with itself, and that is the biggest risk for the country at the moment. Um, we need to get some sort of clarity about what's going on, and we, we really don't know what's going to happen next year. That uncertainty, the big argument for believing the bank may not hike any time soon. Sterling, though, still playing a potentially pivotal role. Its recent surge, up 6% since an October low, could now be over, according to Forex dealers in a Reuters poll, upping the pressure on prices and on the bank for action to curb them. Caroline Kremen from AdviceWorks in studio. Um, Caroline, so rising volatility on markets, and <laughs> not just in the US where there's concerns about rising interest rates and inflation, also in the UK. Yes, and, and in fact in Europe, and I think that the I don't know if the market just woke up to it, but a certain portion of the market woke up to the fact that, you know, we're not going to have the easy money that we had for nearly 10 years. Um, that is falling away. Interest rates will rise. You're not going to have the central banks flooding the market of money. And, and certainly that has caused um, a bit of shock. But, you know, we're, if you think about it, we're actually in a much better place economically than we've been for a very long period of time. So whether w I don't really think we need that type of quantitative easing, that, that type of monetary intervention. Um, but and, and, and I'd hope that inflation is going to be relatively benign. Um, I don't think we're looking at a period of massively growing inflation, although if you're starting from practically nothing. Yeah. Um, 
um, we'll have to wait and see how the market digests this. But when you look at um, company fundamentals, I think people who are valuing those companies certainly did factor higher inflation in, in, into the numbers. So I think it's just a segment of the market that's been caught by surprise. <laughs> uh, were, were those people also factoring in um, cheap money and quantitative easing, or, or is that, is that yeah. not part of the equation? Look, yeah, I think th uh, we, we knew for a long period of time that the US was going to start raising interest rates. Um, it might happen a little bit faster than expected, but it's still going to be relatively steady. I don't think the new Fed chief is going to rock the boat all that much. Um, in Europe, um, Draghi has been talking for a while, although he's not done anything too concrete about the fact that you don't need um, as much of this as, as you've needed in the past. The Bank of England is a bit strange, you know, because they've kind of been playing chicken with the inflation rate mm -hmm. up until this point. I think the expectation really was that they would have lower growth after the Brexit vote, but that hasn't panned out like that. And it probably, that, you know, I think they've been using excuses not to raise interest rates. Um, and, and I think we'll see if they do raise now, because with all the volatility, they might actually have another excuse not to raise rates at this point <coughs> in time. So I'm going to be watching that quite closely. So with the correction we've seen in the US, mm -hmm. and I think it has entered correction phase, does this open up oppor opportunities, Caroline? So th there's been quite a sharp pullback over the last fortnight. I, I th um, look, certainly it's better to buy low and, and sell high. So, But I would be a bit cautious about going into this. Um, on Wednesday, Valentine's Day, um, the US is, might be giving us a Valentine's present or not. Um, you have inflation figures coming out. You know, if, if they uh, exceed expectations, um, you, the market is going to have another wobble. So I, I would be cognizant of that fact and I'd wait for it. Also, I think this, this market of the last two weeks has been a bit strange. It's not simply a market correction. There are a lot of derivatives being traded. There are a lot of managed endowments um, with uh, who will sell out into volatility, um, who've dumped a lot of stock on the market. You've got algorithmic traders there. It's it's silly season on the markets at the moment. So I think if I was anybody, I would, I would really wait till Wednesday, see where those inflation figures lead us, and then wait for the volatility to subside. Because right now it's just all fear. Yeah. Um, let's take a look at some of those company fundamentals. Mm -hmm. um, Twitter turning its first ever quarterly profit. And it's been a long time coming, yeah. Caroline. Took them 12 years. Um, uh, one has to congratulate them. I think it was a whole $91 million, which kind of pales into <laughs> insignificance next to the Googles and the Facebooks of the world. Um, I think they were the beneficiaries of greater advertising spend. Um, but and this is a big but, it's Google, the big brother Google and, and, and Facebook, which still get the, the bulk of that spend. Um, it just looks as if advertisers were looking at alternate platforms to actually mm -hmm. put their money. Um, so we'll see how long that lasts. I think if we do have a, slight, a slightly slower economy, you know, advertising budgets are the first things to go and um, advertisers are going to put their money where they're going to get most coverage, which is in Google and, and Facebook. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily assume there's going to be profits going forward. Yeah. I, won I wonder whether President Donald Trump's had a hand in Twitter's fortune since he spent so much time on that platform. <laughs> I don't know. And this is the other thing as well, because, I mean, advertisers are becoming quite funny about where they actually place their ads. So, you know, would you necessarily want your banner ad next to a particularly racist tweet by Donald Trump?
Because it depends um, where you're selling. <laughs> I, I would think so. <laughs> okay, um, let's move on to um, FedEx and UPS. Mm -hmm. Both of those shares yeah. down um, last week. And that was on reports that Amazon plans to launch delivery services for businesses. Mm -hmm. So ap apart from third-party merchants, um, it's also going to create a delivery network, which I suppose makes sense yeah. since it does have this massive logistics base. Well, it's got a very rapidly growing logistics base. And it's, I don't think it's a... It's a, it's a company ploy to actually try to put these guys out of business. It's just that they're trying to have that, you know, top top down customer experience that yeah. is fantastic. So irrespective of whether you're taking something from an Amazon warehouse or, you've, or if you're taking from a third party seller, you know, they want it to be able to be tracked. They want it quality controlled. And um, initially, that's only going to be rolled out into, lo into Los Angeles. Um, I don't think Amazon is is going to be a, the UPS of the future for everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One would hope not. I'm sure that the regulators would step in before no. they even, even went there. But it is a kind of catastrophic for these guys. Um, I think UPS, 6% of their revenue comes from Amazon, FedEx, 3%. Um, so they're going to be watching how Amazon actually rolls it out everywhere else. My initial take on that is that that online business especially everywhere, but, but even the US, it, it seems big, but it's actually still a relatively small part of all retailing. Yeah. So I think that whole industry is going to grow. So where they're going to lose the Amazon business, they'll probably pick business up from somewhere else. Okay. Um, Expedia, um, warning yeah. the costs will outpace revenue growth this year. And it looks like they've done particularly badly in Trivago, which is the, the hotel mm. search websites, which seems to be advertising on South African TV all the time. Yes, and I've actually used them, and, and you know the services are very good. And you know, on the surface, it's Expedia Priceline, you know, they play in the same industry. And I've always been very skeptical about it, you know, because it's it's they part price aggregators, you know, they they do enter into contracts of hotels and <laughs> and things like that. But if you're a customer like me, if I go look for accommodation somewhere. I'm very agnostic about where I put my money. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna, uh, you know, I'm gonna put my 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 requirements into every single site. I'm gonna see what it picks back, and I'm gonna take the one that's cheapest and suits me the yeah. most. So, so I really don't see where these guys have ever had pricing power. So it doesn't surprise me that they're spending more, that their expenses are more, because you you really want the best experience for your customers. But customers are fickle. Um, so I think they're interesting businesses, but I almost see them as kind of the 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 IT tech companies of the last downturn <laughs> that they're they're utilities. Okay, and finally, Nvidia and um, beaten expectations yes. with revenue wow. and with earnings, okay. and they they make chips and graphic processors and the, and the likes. Yeah, graphic processors, which can also be turned into machine learning processors, and very much in use right now. And I think they got a nice boost from that from people who are doing cryptocurrency mining. Oh yeah. <laughs> so if you were doing any cryptocurrency mining in your garage, which hopefully you weren't because it does take a lot of electricity, which we, <laughs> um, you were probably using one of their chips. Um, and just a fantastic company. I mean, they, they keep on exceeding expectations. And it's, it's on a quite a challenging PE of about 40 plus, but even so, I think there can be a lot more growth there. There are the, I mean, the size of those chips, I think it's something like nine billion transistors on a chip. Now, 10 years ago, you weren't even getting 750 million. So mm -hmm. it's, it's the processing power that these things have that they're developing. Um, they're, they're streaks ahead of their competitors. Um, they're much more reliable. They're, they're quite a lot more security um, aware. And just on the gaming side, it's you know the rise of esports. Um, you know, this is a growing market. And then 
in addition to that, they're also looking at cars and, and self-driving cars. And that was one segment which didn't perform particularly well for them, but they're, I mean, I think they, they do say that they're looking at that rather coming on on 2019, 2020, when car makers actually really start to integrate a lot of self-driving into the general cars we drive every day. So really not a stock that looks cheap. Um, it was one of the stocks that was up when the market was crashing. Yeah. So I think it's very difficult to, to say to people, buy into the dips. <laughs> but if you do see a dip in this one, maybe pick some up and put it in your bottom drawer. Mm. Uh, and just from reading today, it looks like um, they actually can't keep up with demand, exactly, which is which yeah. is pushing prices significantly higher. E exactly, and um, you know I find it quite extraordinary the amount of uh, volume that actually is being pushed into these types of things. I think a lot of that demand was actually being pushed by the cryptocurrency thing. Yeah. Now one would think with the kind of collapse in cryptocurrencies that people would have burned their fingers and, and maybe this would drop off, but that doesn't seem to be the case. And more cryptocurrencies are rising all the time, so more revenue for these guys. Okay, so one to keep our eyes yeah. on. We have to leave mm. there just for a moment. We're going to a break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at Coronation's Global Managed Fund with Louis Stassen. He's the head of global developed markets at Coronation. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. You're watching Global Investor. Still with me in studio, Caroline Kramen from AdviceWorks. Joining us on the line is Louis Stassen. He's the head of developed markets at Coronation. Hi, Louis. Thanks very much for joining us. So we're discussing the Coronation Global Managed Fund. In a nutshell, what are investors getting if they invest in this? Hi, Stephen. Um, yeah, we. this is sort of a medium risk uh, balance fund, uh, if you like, in the South African context. So it's for investors that want uh, a spread of investments, not just equity, so it's a lower risk than, than a pure equity investment. Um, and we therefore can invest both in government bonds, in credit, uh, we have even a little bit of gold in there, and then obviously property, we consider listed property uh, to be very much part of a solution as well. Okay, I mean, just looking at some of the commentary that um, I've picked up, um, and it was mostly commentary from last year, which you said was a, a blowout year for emerging markets. It was a great year even for developed markets. How are you viewing things as we go into the second month of 2018? Because things aren't looking quite as good as they were last year, Louis. Yeah, it's uh, an appropriate time to be talking uh, to you, uh, given the volatility we've had in the markets last week or so. Clearly, January has been still very strong. Uh, equity markets were up a lot, uh, and then in February they gave, in fact in last week or so, they gave it all back and, and a little bit more. Uh, we tend to be a little bit more conservatively positioned, so we for instance have lower equity exposure um, than what the benchmark would suggest, and we've been reducing it throughout the course of last year already as markets ran up. Um, so we've done a little bit better than, than the, the benchmark would have suggested. Uh, but still down, I think, on the year, we're probably now slightly up um, since the beginning of January. Mm. Because the benchmark you follow is 60% MSCI all countries and 40% with the Barclays Global Bond Aggregate. Um, and, and yet you don't really have 40% in bonds. You only have 10% in bonds at this, at this moment. Are you going to be moving more into, the, into bonds? Yeah, I think uh, we've, for some time now, probably the last four or five years, we've been very vocal about the fact we thought the global bond markets were in bubble territory and that one had to be very careful committing capital uh, to that end of the market. So even the 10% of global bonds that you referred to, that's really just credit that we own and we've hedged out the interest rate risk. So we, we're essentially saying we think long-term bond yields 
should be significantly higher than when they are at the moment, and certainly where they were uh, two years or so ago. Um, so we have seen a bit of weakness this year. It's been part of the reason why the equity market sold off as well. Uh, but we consider this to just the beginning of a of a correction, and therefore we will remain on the sidelines. So we hold quite a bit of cash at the moment. Yeah, so I noticed 21% in cash, um, and very few options at the moment, I suppose, on where to deploy that. Exactly. I think uh, Reserve Bank governors want us to uh, embrace risky assets and, and deploy this, those cash holdings into risky assets. We're saying there's a time in the cycle where it's not a bad idea to be holding some cash, and, and therefore, at the moment, it's diluting returns. Last year, in particular, when you had the very strong equity markets, those cash holdings would have diluted returns. But we think from a risk perspective, it's the right thing to do. Okay, uh, just, just within the, the equity side, um, you say in the commentary, the focus is on developed markets, but your um, mandate does allow for emerging market exposure. Um, and, and last year was a great year for emerging markets. Um, were, were you underexposed to emerging markets? Are you seeing value in any of those now? We, it's a good question. We have about, um, on a see-through basis, about um, 12% exposure to emerging markets. We were a little bit higher than that uh, throughout the course of last year. Uh, but I think it's uh, dangerous just to look at it in that way because often we invest in companies like Heineken, Unilever, uh, the tobacco companies and so on that invest. Their underlying businesses actually run into emerging markets. So on a see-through basis, we probably have about 15 to 18% exposure to emerging markets. We think the, the overriding indices are probably quite full, as we think equity markets, global developed equity markets, are, are quite full at the moment as well. So that's why we decided to rather invest by other companies um, in, into the underlying businesses uh, exposed to those emerging market uh, fundamentals. Okay. Um, I know you're looking at companies rather than geographies, but any emerging markets that do appeal to you, Louis? Um, it's, it's probably all of them are, are pretty full. Um, we've seen some value in Brazil, but that's, that's actually appreciated quite nicely. There's still some companies that we hold in China, some of the internet names in China. But again, uh, those, those names have done very well in the last year, and we have been reducing. So... Um, for choice, I think we probably have scaled back a little bit and will rather look for value, in particular after the sell-off, rather look for value in the developed markets. Okay. Uh, well, I, mean, I see you, you've got all the big internet names in the US on your top 10 list, so the Alphabets, the Facebooks and the Amazon. Are you still seeing um, opportunities with, with stocks like those? Yeah, again, Stephen, very good question, given how well they've done in the past year. Um, it's we, we fundamentally believe in the disruptors, these, these platform businesses that really can both scale quite quickly and with relatively limited capital. Um, but again, we've got to recognize that um, share prices have run up quite a bit, in particular Amazon share price has been very full. So, so we have been reducing over the last uh, couple of months, um, but then the rest of the market's also gone up. So it's all about relative valuation. So we've reduced a little bit, but still fundamentally believe uh, in the good business fundamentals of, of those businesses. Okay, well, let me put Caroline on the stop bot and bring mm. her in here. And Caroline, you, your thoughts on, on the strategy that they've taken with the, the Global Managed Fund at this stage? Um, so underweight bonds and 
not seeing much value in equities at the moment either. No, it's actually a very, very difficult market. Um, but I, I, I do think you know the tilts um, with the the cash they got eventually when things settled down to go to developed markets is probably the right one. And I'm just curious, um, Louis, um, of the companies that you've got. I mean, what is the relative geographic spread amongst developed markets at the moment? And the new cash that you've got, are you going to be tilting towards the US or more towards Europe? Yes, Caroline, we, again, very sometimes one's got to be very careful with uh, categorization because some of the companies might be domiciled in the US, a company like Liberty Global, for instance, domiciled in the US, but actually it's underlying operations uh, all in Europe. Um, so on a see-through basis, we are definitely overweight the US. We see... Uh, we see in the U.S. we often see very well-run companies by management teams that are highly motivated and very shell-defense. Uh, but in the last six months or so, we have been switching a little bit more into Europe um, as those uh, U.S. companies' um, prices have actually continued to rise. So uh, Airbus, you could argue, is more of a global company, but we've uh, introduced that into the portfolio. Vivendi has got some European assets in there. We've introduced that into the portfolio. So we tend to, to look at the moment. Now we've had the sell-off, and probably the sell-off has been a little bit more pronounced in the U.S. So for choice at the moment, probably much of the matches between U.S. and the rest of the world. Um, but we have been switching a little bit more into uh, outside of the U.S. Lou, you do say that the U.S. tax reform plans that were brought in at the end of last year and the beginning of this year was a game changer. And it looks like it was a game changer for some industries more than others, particularly for the telecom sector, because you used it as an opportunity to, to increase holdings in Comcast, Charter and Altus. Why did they benefit more so from this, those tax reforms? Yeah, there are a couple of reasons, Stephen. The one is that uh, most of these companies paid very full tax uh, rates. Uh, most of them are domestic orientated only, so they only uh, operate in the U.S. Obviously, then they get the full benefit of the tax reform. Um, they also are quite heavy cap uh, capex spenders, so they invest a lot in their underlying businesses um, as they build out their networks and so on. And um, in terms of the new tax reforms, you're getting accelerated uh, depreciation and write-offs on those capital investments that companies make. So there are a couple of those reasons that... Um, that they've been primary beneficiaries of. Any other sectors you would look to and um, to benefit fr from the tax reforms? I think basically most sectors that are, that are paying very full tax rates and are more domestically orientated. But then the big question is how many of those benefits will be competed away? As we know, the US is a very competitive uh, economy. So for instance, the retail sector uh, would be a prime beneficiary on paper because they are mostly uh, exposed to the U.S. domestic market, and they've all they all be paying uh, quite full tax rates. Uh, but it is a very competitive, in particular apparel sector, very competitive sector. And so a lot of those benefits, we think, over time will be competed away. And we've seen we've seen some of the companies making announcements about investing in staff and investing in in branding and marketing and so on. So we think we think that the um, cable sector is probably the one that would be able to hold on to most of the benefits. And, and for the other ones, there will be a fair amount of being competed away. Okay. And Louis, just looking forward into 2018, where are you seeing the biggest risks at the moment, and bearing in mind that the volatility we've seen over the past week or two? Yeah, as, as uh, we've already discussed a little bit, Stephen, I think we, we are nervous about global bonds, continue to be nervous with global bonds. We've even reduced our, 
um, our credit exposure because those credit spreads are also quite tight. Uh, and then the equities, they also reasonably full. They've, they've very quickly re-rated and taken into account the benefits from, uh, from the U.S. tax reform. So at the moment, I think the right strategy is to be a little bit more cautious uh, and just sit on the sideline and see how it all plays out before one deploys the cash. Okay, and uh, m maybe just uh, touch, touch, touching on the performance of your fund relative to the benchmark, and I see, I mean, it's been neck and neck for, for most of the time. Yes, we uh, bear in mind the, the performance that we're looking at, obviously after all fees, and it is a quantitative benchmark, so the benchmark hasn't got any fees in there. Um, so we think in, on a gross basis, we've actually done uh, quite well. Um, the last year, the fact that we were below average weighting in equities cost the fund because global equities did quite well. But as I said, that was also partly risk orientation. We think into 2018, we want to be conservatively positioned. So it is a, it is a tough benchmark to beat. Um, uh, we're keeping track. Um, and, and in keeping track, we obviously have to make good for the fees that we're charging as well. Okay. We have to leave it there. Thank you very much for taking the time to chat to us. Thank you. Okay, and a quick word from Caroline. Um, your, your thoughts? Um, yeah. Good to be conservatively positioned in 2018. Y yes, but the question then is where is conservative in 2018? <laughs> you know, because you can be in cash and earn absolutely nothing. Um, and, and, you know, we could have a relatively benign correction. Um, I think the bond market is, is risky. Um, we, we really don't know what's going to happen there. So just for me, I, I would really, I like the equity component of this. Um, I, I, if, I, if it was me, I'd be more like high dividend yield equities. I think some of those growth companies, um, they've just, the valuations are still very, very high, okay. regardless of the correction. Caroline, thank you very much, okay. as always. Thanks. That's uh, all we have time for in this show. And thanks again to Caroline Kremen from AdviceWorks, also Louis Stutton, the head of Global Developed Markets at Coronation, for their insights. Thanks to you for watching. Same time next week. Goodbye.